The China in Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP aims to improve the quality of reporting on Africa China relations through reporting grants, workshops, and other opportunities for journalists. More information at africachinareporting.co.za and our dedicated training website at africachinatraining.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, we are now exactly one week away from the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation Ministerial Conference that will get underway next week. Sunday, they're kind of all gathering, but Monday, the work begins in Dakar, and it will run through Tuesday. There is a lot on the agenda. We've been going through this over the past few weeks and in our daily newsletter about what all the expectations are, what they're thinking they're going to, what we're thinking they're going to cover. Of course, we don't have a lot of details. There's been no published agenda. We don't even know exactly who is going to be there who will be remote, who will be in person. We don't know what the Chinese delegation is going to look like. It probably will include Yang Jiechi, who is the top foreign policy advisor. He's already been to Africa once this year, and Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. We expect African foreign ministers, trade ministers, energy ministers to all go. So again, we don't have a lot of details, but we're doing a little bit of forecasting as to what is going to be on the agenda. And what we know for sure, because they have told us this, is that trade is going to be a very important topic. In particular, talking about trade in agricultural products, the Chinese foreign ministry has already acknowledged that some of the trade imbalances they would like to help correct. This is one of the things we've been seeing over the past two to three months, that there's been a rash of trade deals that have been announced to bring in more agricultural products from Africa into China, and there's been a loosening of market access into China and there's going to be a lot more of that. Now, on this issue of trade, Ugandan President Yoram Museveni, a couple weeks ago, did an interview with Bloomberg. And this is something very unusual because you don't see head of states speaking to international media about the Chinese and making very, very strong demands. And Museveni made it very clear what he wants to come out of FOCAC and also from the China-Africa trade relationship is more market access. Let's take a listen to his comments with Bloomberg on access to the Chinese market. The only new thing now I should insist on is the issue of market access. For me, what I would ask from them is to allow our products to enter their market quota-free, tax-free. They are allowed a few, but many are not, are not allowed. We like more, we like a broader spectrum of access to the market without tax and without quantitative limit. Okay, without tax, free access to the Chinese market. That's a big ask because at this point right now, there are quite a few restrictions on a number of products, particularly agricultural products. Right now, the China-Africa trade relationship is highly distorted and highly uneven. China maintains with most countries an enormous, enormous trade surplus. So you look at countries like Uganda, Kenya, Senegal, for example, importing north of a billion dollars, exporting in the tens of millions back 
to China. So a lot of finished goods are coming into Africa. And at the same time, agricultural products that have much less value are going back out. Also, when we look at China-Africa trade this year, it's on track to hit around $200 billion, which will be better than last year's $187 billion. This, of course, makes China the number one trading partner for Africa on a country basis. Region to region, Europe is still the largest trading partner. So if we look at it based on Africa as a continent and Europe as a continent, Europe is by far the most important trading partner. But on a bilateral basis, China remains number one. Compare it, of course, to the United States. $32.5 billion was the amount of trade that it did with the United States last year. So clearly China almost six, seven times as large as what the Americans are doing in terms of trade. But that trade is highly, again, highly distorted. It's not spread evenly across the continent. Most of it is with about 10 countries, and those 10 countries export a lot of high-value raw materials like oil, mineral, and timber. So, Kobus, that is where we are on the trade front. What did you think of Museveni's call for free access to the China market and, the, and, and whether or not there's any merit to that? Um, it struck me that that it was the timing was interesting, and I wondered whether it was essentially functioning as a kind of a trial balloon to direct discussions around FOCAC. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure from African countries for greater Chinese market access, you know, kind of at FOCAC. And of course, all of these agreements are, are negotiated beforehand. So it'll be, you know, kind of once we see the announcements, it'll be very interesting to see whether they actually did achieve any more market access. There's also, they, they, you know... I think it they, we, we it's, it's probably makes sense to expect some because we've seen moves on the Chinese side as well to try and kind of position certain provinces as hubs for for Chinese for African agricultural trade um, and also for Chinese e-commerce platforms to also facilitate that trade. But you know, kind of what I think is is is, is the big thing to look out for is whether is whether this is going to be on a product-by-product product basis or whether there's there's any kind of like loosening that that signals a, a, a greater kind of like block access um, for, for, for agricultural products from Africa. Well, let's get two perspectives on this, one from Kenya, the other from China. Patrick Anam is a trade lawyer in Nairobi and also a trade policy analyst at Development Reimagined. Patrick, a very good afternoon to you. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for Kobas. It's wonderful to have you here, and we're thrilled to also have your Development Reimagined colleague, Ika Fu, who is also a research analyst and a policy analyst at Development Reimagined. She joins us on the line from beautiful Hangzhou, China. A very good afternoon to you, Ika. Good afternoon, Eric and Kobas. Well, welcome to you both. You guys have been very busy at Development Reimagined over the past few months, preparing a number of fascinating reports. There's two in particular that we'd like to talk about today. One is from China, Africa to Africa, China, a blueprint for a green and inclusive continent-wide Africa strategy towards China. And the other one is written by Patrick, and you did this with Development Reimagined CEO Hannah Ryder, an African assessment of needs, demands, and opportunities for FOCAC 2021 and beyond. Patrick, let's start with you on that report going into FOCAC. Lay out some of the ideas of what you think are the needs, demands, and opportunities on the trade front between China and Africa going into FOCAC. The report, uh, as, uh, as, as you, you, you've correctly mentioned, is reimagining the, the focus going into 2021. And of course, having looked at the importance of, of China uh, in Africa and also the importance of Africa in China in terms of trade and the relationship, 
we did look at uh, some of the, the gaps that has been bedeviling the relationship at Iswa, mostly which are, uh, of course, lack of coordination on both sides, and then also no, no lack of data to track the, the FOCAC outcomes going forwards. And so those are some of the key, key aspects that informed what we recommended in, in the report, which is that as, 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 go, as we go forward, we, we gave out uh, the, the, the reasons which, which I've already mentioned. And then what, we are, what, we've, what we've recommended is include uh, entrenched uh, and beneficial technical assistance between African countries and, uh, and also uh, and, and China. We've also addressed the issue of uh, trying to put in place a means of monitoring and evaluating this process between Africa, African countries and China. And so those are some of the things we recommend. We say that, uh, look, th this is a relationship that has been going on for 20 years. And for, for it to be really win-win as, as, as the FOCAC has always been putting it, there needs to be you know, deeper entrenchment of, of the commitments that have been given before. There needs to be a strategy to, to, to follow through on them. And also there's, there's need to, to have an independent person, possibly from other multilateral bodies, uh, you know, be part of FOCAC negotiations. And then finally, we also mentioned the fact that there's need to institutionalize the arrangement in terms of, you know, converting it into something of a treaty you know, we've given options. It could be a free trade agreement. It could be an expanded preferential arrangement between African countries and China. And so, in short, what what we are recommending is 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 a thing that can make uh, can can make the, the relationship going forward more effective, more easy to follow, and more easy to more easy to track in terms of commitments. Ika, in, you know, kind of it's it's we we frequently tend to look at Africa-China trade in isolation. I was wondering if you could perhaps put it in the context of Africa's trade relationships with other large powers, like, for example, the AGOA agreement with, with the United States. How is, how is China's you know, kind of trade relationship with, with, with the African continent, how does it similar and different from something like AGOA? I think uh, this kind of comparison has mentioned in one of the papers I wrote with Saya. And uh, we propose to have a, a Goa-like, uh, a continental-wide preferential framework trade agreement between China and Africa. Like AGOA, it has become a cornerstone of the U.S. trade and investment policy engagement with Africa. It builds on the market access extended by the U.S. and expand these preferences in favor of Africa, providing duty-free and quota-free access for uh, over 6,000 products. And for China, I think um, some duty-free agreement already exists. So, for example, in 2010, like China agreed to allow imports from least development countries under a duty-free quota-free scene, and this thing was renewed in 2015 and is estimated to cover 97% of the tariff lines. However, it has has a limited impact so far because while 99% of all least development countries imported into China in 2011 was under the quota duty-free quota-free uh, freeze like scene, and China has imported little beyond such commodities from uh, Africa least development countries. So, but we think uh, under the forecast 
context, so China could do more because, like this such a framework, could promote and increase exports from China, Africa to China into specific sectors such as textile and agricultural or labor-intensive manufacturers, and also increase an opportunity for China investor and business in Africa. So I think so such a framework could. Be a step up from just a trade, so it could it could also encourage a strong focus like on special economic zooms with uh, Chinese FDI in Africa countries with export potential and also to attract more investments and also create more export lead jobs. And I think relative small countries can also benefit from a Goa like framework. Yeah, I think uh, so. Such a framework could be. Enable Africa's growing manufacturing industry to be protected, and enable countries to impose more, like for their most favored nations' tariffs to show certain internal markets against chips imports. Okay, so Ika, let me just see if I understand what you're saying. So the idea that you're suggesting is that China can do more to、uh, make it more attractive for manufacturers to offshore their manu- their production to. Countries in Africa, correct? Yeah, I think that's kind of one like、okay. way that China can help. But why would a company that manufactures textiles or at the low end of the manufacturing food chain, okay, why would they go all the way to Africa to to manufacture unless they're doing it for the local market in Af- in in Africa, as opposed to coming here to Southeast Asia where most of them are coming? It I never understood the logic of that. Um, I think manufacturers in Africa has a great potential for the African market, or to sell back to China, or to sell into the global market. I think sell to the global market and also sell back to China and also、uh, among the、uh, Africa continent. Okay, because again, I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this. Making T-shirts in Ethiopia to sell back into the China market, the cost of shipping alone, especially today, would wipe away all of the profit. On a low-margin product like that, I guess my point here is: what kind of manufacturing are we talking about? Being very, very specific, I understand manufacturing for the African market, which is happening in rather large quantities. Auto manufacturing, light goods, and whatnot; those are really starting to happen from the Chinese. But creating offshore manufacturing zones, like we have here in Southeast Asia, that then export back into China and around the world from Chinese manufacturers, I find that hard to believe that the Chinese would find that Africa to be an appealing destination for that. I think also、uh, Chinese investment in manufacturing,s like for example through the special economic zooms. So we already see that like Chinese investment, like the、uh, manufacturer has changed. Like progress than just、uh, just making like、uh, closing or appeals to the auto mo-、uh, like auto、uh, parts. So I think、uh, investing in manufacturing could also like create some that va-、uh, value added like concepts because like、uh, so manufacturing we we can hire local local employees and to like increase their like local employment. And I think,、uh, based on our assessment right now, we don't see kind of a lot of Chinese companies manufactured in Africa and imported back to China. But they can enjoy some、uh, trade preferential like laws, and because like Africa is quite close to Europe, so it can be a possible 
market to selling the products to Europe. Yeah, but Europeans and Americans don't really like the idea of that of using Africa as a backdoor into to avoid trade tariffs and to benefit from free trade agreements. Into the U.S. and to Europe, that's politically potentially sensitive, I would imagine.、Um, I I don't want to say、uh, now that、um, using African to manufacture and import to Europe is to just to enjoy their tariff fees, but I think it's more related to like like the job creation in Africa and like in Africa countries. Patrick, at the beginning,、um, we we talked about or Ika mentioned the you know kind of the large number of of products that that are that enjoy kind of duty free access to the Chinese market. At the same time, we also heard、uh, President Yuvari Museveni calling for greater access and tariff free access to to the Chinese market. Can you give us an idea of of which African products are actually Entering the the Chinese market tariff free at the moment,、um, and and where where kind of are the lower hanging fruit, you know, where eliminating tariffs would actually increase trade. Yes. So currently, the Ch- China give give、uh, African LDCs、uh, a host of ninety seven percent tariff lines, and and when you listen to when you listen to President Museveni's speech or, or observation. It seems to talk about the 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 issue of、uh, market access. So yes, his point is whereas there are uh, uh, there are already the duty free quota free system that、uh, that China has offered LDCs,、uh, which is fashioned alongside、uh, how how a goa is fashioned. These these products are still they're still facing、uh, they're still facing a huge market access challenges. For for instance,、uh, we are talking of. Of of SPS barriers when they are when they are when they are going into into the Chinese market. So what it, what it seems to say is that、uh, look, we need to move the conversation from just offering the tariff line to ninety seven percent of of the products to 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 access the, the Chinese market duty free, but also we need now to address the the. What is affecting the the supply side constraints, which which are of co- which are of course the market as market access、uh, problems, which the president seems to seems to mention. Patrick Ika mentioned that thousands of products already have market access. Are they being used to the maximum potential? There is that those four or five thousand products that are now duty free and accessible into the China market. Is that being capitalized fully, or is there more that can be done there?、And、I keep coming back to this question of the avocados in Kenya. There was a lot of fanfare a couple of years ago about exporting avocados. In fact, your colleagues at Development Reimagine did this amazing graphic with a beautiful avocado and showed the potential of this high-value fruit and this high-value export to go to China, where. And if you spend any time going to Baker and Spice in China or any of the restaurants,、uh, people love guacamole and avocados. So the demand is endless in China. But yet, out of the hundred companies that applied to sell avocados to China, at last check, only one was able to do it because of the stringent requirements for health and safety. That is, they have to be frozen and they have to be flash frozen before they are sold, and that was a barrier to actually taking advantage of the market access. So my question is, you can provide all of the openings you want, but if they're not able to take advantage of it, what happens? So talk to us, you know, Patrick, very quickly about market access is one part, but actually executing is the other part. I think the the problem here, and and I think you're, you're correct in in what you mentioned, and, and I'm I'm also aware that we've produced before、uh, the, sort of the infographics on 
on avocado. So if we could use the, the, the issue of avocado, for instance, we are talking of, uh, of, let's say, Kenya being allowed to, to export this product uh, into China. But then now when, 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 the, when the export destination country, which is China now, says uh, we, need, we need it peeled, we need it frozen between to, to a certain degree, and we need it packaged in, 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 this, uh, in this kind of way, and now we are talking of, of farmers who are uh, smallholder avocado growers who do not even have the normal uh, cooling, cooling products to, to do everyday cooling. It becomes a challenge. So the, the biggest problem that is, uh, that, is, that is between that achieving the market, addressing market access and increasing, uh, use, increasing use of the duty-free quarter-free scheme is actually lack of capacity on, uh, on the farmer side, on the productivity side, and, and it has also to do with the, with the, with, the, with perhaps lack of lack of coordination between the, the governments whose farmers are receiving the duty free quarter free scheme, and and the farmers in terms of what policy interventions can can can, can you now can you now entrench. As, as a farmer or as a government to ensure your farmers access the market because i mean if if china says okay fine you can bring avocados to 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 china but now these are the conditions which by the way china i think is is in most cases like any other country within its right because these are spss which are governed by wto sps agreement it's now in my view incumbent upon the the, the country that is intending its farmers to trade to now you know, go for further negotiations and or, you know, implement uh, a, a trade facilitative uh, policies or measures that can ensure that farmers access the finances and access the facilities to ensure these, uh, these cold rooms or, or these processing implementations are, are available. That, in my view, has not been happening. And I think that's it's, it's one of the biggest uh, obstacles into, into, into poor LDC countries as, as it were, accessing a larger market such as China, much as the duty-free quarter-free scheme is there. Um, Ika, do, do you see most of African countries still trying to negotiate these these deals with China bilaterally, or are or are regional economic communities and other kind of other more kind of larger bodies, like larger even on the continental level, are they starting to become more effective in terms of these negotiations? So I think. Right now, we only see uh, Mauritius is the only Africa country that have a, a free trade agreement with China. So right now, uh, it's still a lot of uncertainty here that whether a regional bloc or a continental-wide free trade agreement will happen. So uh, in paper, I also talk about some regional bloc or maybe has started some negotiation with China on free trade agreement, but like the, uh, the progress is quite slow and even no update. And for the continental-wide, so the AFCFTA, like the Africa Continental Free Trade Area, is just um, operational on January this year. So I think it's still a lot of uncertainty at this moment to see whether there's a continental-wide free trade agreement between uh, AFCFTA and China. But I think maybe in the future this might be happened. So, but I think definitely, uh, I think uh, from my perspective, a bilateral trade agreements from each countries uh, proposed by Africa countries with China should be um, like more common uh, at the current phase. 
Patrick, we're talking about free trade agreements. Museveni was very clear in his language where he talked about market access for African goods. A free trade agreement, like what China has with Mauritius, as Ika pointed out, is potentially very dangerous for Africa because trade goes both ways, right? Already, African producers are complaining about competing against low-cost Chinese goods. Imagine if there's no duties whatsoever. Number one, that'll be a hit on revenue for national governments that do collect a lot of tariffs for their for their national treasuries. Number two, China has the capability, more than any other country in the world, to flood a market with low-cost goods to displace local producers. Do you think free trade agreements between, say, the AFCFTA and China would make sense in Africa's interest in the long term? Of course, I agree with you, firstly, on the point of, of, of the dangers uh, that, that, that amount when, 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 when you enter into such, such an, an arrangement, especially uh, given the nature of African countries' productivity capacities, the goods they intend to, to, to export vis-a-vis what, what China is offering. So I, I think I think in in the in the long run in the long run what 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 is more beneficial is a, a, an extended preferential trade agreement between China and African countries, and and like Ika has, has correctly pointed out, what we have right now is which which can give us like a sneak preview of how such an arrangement would be is is what is between China and uh, and Mauritius uh, the FTA. Now the dangers of an FTA, of course, is is uh, it becomes uh, reciprocal, so that uh, African countries open them entirely. And then China also opens uh, its its markets entirely. Now the, the the tricky bit about it is the fact that yes, both sides shall have opened, but now the the, the capacities of of African countries to to match up uh, the competitive advantages that that Africa that Chinese manufacturers and 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 products have is is at this moment I think in, in uh, an insurmountable task. It's such a huge task to, to accomplish, and I think uh, in the in the long run, the, 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 there's need perhaps for for African countries to look more into into going into arrangement after there has been a proper addressing of of, of let's say infrastructure connecting uh, or connecting different countries, addressing of uh, the issue of, of government subsidies policies which are in place which currently are not there, and so. Opening it up right now is will be a very risky, a very risky imbalance that that African countries may be walking into. Um, Patrick, following up on that, you know, we we've seen one one of the issues around around the African Continental Free Trade Agreement is is the need to harmonise tariffs across all of these different countries and then also to to eliminate a lot of them. How much how much progress have you seen on on this kind of like? You know, harmonization of of tariffs across, but between different African countries, are or are we still seeing a situation where there's essentially where where importers and exporters have to deal with many different tariffs across across the continent? That, that's a good question. There's there's still a lot. There's still a lot that that's yet to be ironed out in terms of tariffs harmonization. Much as uh, we are told that trade began uh, on the first of of January this year, and so. When when you cross when a normal trader crosses uh, different regions, they are they are still likely to different uh, duties, and because also the, whereas uh, African countries have variously signed uh, the agreement, and and most of them have ratified it, 
we still have uh, some thinking of protectionism that's emanating in, in, in some countries. So I think uh, the harmonization of, of tariffs is, is, is a discussion that still, it, it, it's, it's still yet to be, to be completed fully on the continent, and, and it's affecting not only, not only the, 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 first, the implementation of the agreement or the, or the easy operationalization of the FFTA, but also it militates against the, the, the bilateral, the intra-African trade of, of, of goods. And so I think, I think it's a challenge that African countries are collectively, collectively uh, now trying to address, but, but they still face it. And also, you know, while, while at it and, and talking of, again, the, the question uh, Eric pointed out, we realize that the, the AFCFT as it is, uh, it, it, it gives, uh, under what it calls continental preferences, it gives, uh, it, it gives uh, African countries or each, any country with a signature to it, basically the, the leeway to enter into other agreements with third parties. Third parties here being non-AFCFTA members like China, US, and etc. And I think that's also going to bring another layer of, of sort of confusion in the tariffs in terms of what preferences are we looking at and what preferences uh, will, will we be extending to other African countries after we sign those agreements which have, let's say, better preferences with, let's say, China or the US or any other country. So I think that's where we are, but it's, it's a big challenge, I agree. Iku, let's step back a little bit from the details of trade agreements and free trade and even what's going to happen at FOCAC next week and try and put China's trade with Africa in the broader context. I'm looking at the numbers right now for so far this year. And let's remember, China is far and away the largest trading country in the world. From January through October, just the first 10 months of the year, China's done $4.89 trillion. That's up 32% compared to the same period last year, according to data from the General Administration of Customs. This year, again, China-Africa trade is on track to exceed last year's $187 billion, which was impressive, by the way. That was a very solid number. Uh, It's on track right now to be probably, again, over $200 billion. But $200 billion out of $4.89 trillion, and this year it'll probably exceed $5 trillion, is a tiny amount. In fact, when you look at China's trading relationships with all different regions around the world, Africa is second to the last compared to Oceania, which is those little tiny islands in the South Pacific. When you compare against what China does with trade with South America, $300 billion. With the Persian Gulf, $224, $225 billion. With Germany alone, it was $250 billion. The United States, $500 billion. Europe, $500 or $600 billion. And here in Southeast Asia, $1.2 trillion so far this year. So Africa's $200 billion is big for Africa, especially for those 10 countries. But really, a rounding error out of $5 trillion for China. Help us understand how Africa trade, what's the point of Africa trade for China, given the scope and scale of China's really huge trade portfolio. If you just looking at the data, I have to admit that the trade flows uh, from Africa is quite is quite low. So just given very a very practical example, just in my real life. So when I go to supermarket to shop, so you might see some of the wines from South Africa, but more like shelves, it was packed with uh, wines from um, France or Europe. But I think it's more important to 
understand what the law means. So China, just you mentioned at the very beginning, so has been Africa's largest bilateral trading partner since 2008. And I think uh, U.S. import less uh, Africa products. So I think it's more important to compare with China and other development partners such as U.S., U.K. or France instead of just looking at like the specific number that China has trade with Africa with other regions. If you look at the data, we can also notice that uh, Africa's exports to China, uh, to China and has been like increasing since 2000. So I think that the main point uh, I want to make is so it's just like we can understand Chinese roles compared with UK or US roles in like trade relations with Africa. But I think if you look at this comparison, I think China really stands out. Patrick, we we recently um, we recently saw these calls coming from the DRC president Felix Jesikedi that all DRC minerals, and of course the DRC is a very big exporter of raw minerals. Um, should be refined uh, within the DRC, and we've we've seen many many similar calls from 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 many African stakeholders. It's it's kind of a holy grail in African development discussions that that Africa should should uh, refine minerals, you know, like on the continent rather than exporting them raw. Um, how much chance do you see? For that, be that kind of demand or that that aspiration being met by by China, um, you know, at the moment we're seeing we're seeing a lot of a lot of mineral um, refining capacity is actually located in China at the moment, and and, it, and you know that 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 feeds into the logic of exporting so much raw raw mineral ore to China. Um, so, do do you foresee any kind of movement um, at? The upcoming FOCAC or, or later for for China to actually play ball in terms of moving some of that that capacity to the African continent. Yeah, it's true, and and I think uh, DRC president has been very clear on that, and and we also know that uh, most of the minerals that are exported from from Africa to the rest of the world and mostly in China is is raw. I, I think what I foresee and and part of part of the research that that we've been trying to put out at. Uh, at the development remarking is, is the fact that when you look at the, the 2018 FOCAC, there were eight major initiatives uh, that, that China came up with, and I think one of them was industrial pro- promotion, trade facilitation, as well as uh, infrastructure connectivity. And so I, I think that one, it, it needs to, these, these commitments, these initiatives need to link into sort of part of the what African countries would want, what AU would want, for instance, and 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 when you look at the report which we shared, uh, which which we've uh, we, we put out uh, recently, is that we, we we try to link the the Af- the AU continental frameworks, which includes the Africa Mining Vision, with uh, with the continental frameworks, with the, the Sustainable Development Goals. And also with the, the this FOCAC major initiatives, so I think uh, the ability of of African countries through DRC and and other mineral producing countries to move this conversation from sort of uh, just uh, exporting raw materials in terms of minerals to to value addition is the fact that uh, the, the 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 upcoming FOCAC needs to perhaps revisit those those conversations. 
and, and in line with the fact that, that, that China intends to, or has, has committed before, that they, they intend to, to help African countries accelerate the industrial development. I mean, th these are some of the, the, the issues that I think African leaders, DRC, can of course be a, a leader in this conversation to discuss with, 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 with the Chinese side in terms of uh, what, what, what is the nature of, of, of the industries or investments or FDI can, can China bring into the mineral aspect in Africa, for instance? And I think uh, that has been lacking before. I, 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 hope, I hope it is part of a conversation that can be happening this coming, this coming forecast. Because again, minerals are, they are huge in terms of, of, of the value, but they can be huger when, when value is, is added. And I think it, it, goes, it is very central towards the conversation around uh, reducing the trade deficit between China and Africa when, when, when some of these minerals are, are, are processed locally before the finished products are, are now exported. Because again, some of the products, uh, minerals coming from DRC are of course very critical in terms of even the, the, the energy, energy products and these batteries and with, 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 this, with this debate of sustainable goods and environmental goods, I think uh, African countries, DRC, etc., have, have have this power in their hand to negotiate strategically in terms of letting China bring a production capacity on the continent. Well, let's close our discussion looking at FOCAC next week. We want to get your expert insights on what we should be looking for on the trade front. I'd like to get a prediction or some kind of forecast from you as to what people should be looking for regarding China-Africa trade. Ika, let's start with you, and then Patrick, I'll come to you. I think definitely to see like whether there's any like update policy agreement between China and Africa has made us maybe like if China have some commitments that to make to just encourage some certain products from Africa that can help Africa's to improve the certain sector, for example, agricultural or manufacturing sector. Okay, Patrick, what is your forecast for FOCAC next week on the trade front? I foresee a discussion uh, around around debt because it's been it's been a thorn in the flesh for some time now, and and I think uh, uh, the conversations we've had before with 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 the, with the ambassadors uh, point more towards addressing the aspect of monitoring and evaluation of FOCAC, FOCAC's declarations and negotiations uh, beyond just the meeting. So I think that's one of the points that may be discussed. I also uh, believe there'll be a discussion around uh, green green energy, green technology, green goods, uh, including water, what ECOBAS has raised. And finally, I also see more, more, more discussions, especially from the African side in terms of uh, capacity building issues so that uh, Africa can be able to, you know, cut down on, on, on the trade deficit that, that's already uh, uh, predominant uh, be between the partners. Okay, we will follow up with you afterwards. Thank you both for your fascinating insights and for the great work you've done with the Development Reimagined team on these reports. I'm going to put links to both of the reports in the show notes. Report number one is From China, Africa to Africa, China, a blueprint for a green and inclusive continent-wide Africa strategy towards China. The second report that was written by Patrick and Hannah Ryder, an African assessment of needs, demands, and opportunities for FOCAC 2021 and beyond. Both reports are just 
chock full of great charts and data and insights. And if you are doing research on this, if you are following China-Africa relations, this is a must read. Patrick Anam is a trade lawyer in Nairobi and also a trade policy analyst for Development Reimagined. And Ika Fu joins us from Hangzhou, where she is a research and policy analyst at Development Reimagined. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. I will put links to all of the Development Reimagined social media uh, channels as well, so you can follow them. Patrick, Ika, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Kobus. Thank you. And Eric, I'd just like to add that that beyond those two reports, um, Ika and her, her, um, her colleague um, Ovigwe Ego Ego like, co-authored two amazing reports for SIA about, about the linking of, of the African continental free trade area with the Belt and Road Initiative. So those we'll, we'll, put, we'll post those links as well to two linked reports on, on how to connect the BRI and the AFCFDA. Um, so we'll put those in the show notes as well. Kobus, the, the team at Development Reimagined, Patrick, Hannah, Ovigwe Ego Ego, who's our old friend, he's done some writing for us over the years, and Ika, have been just, I mean, they're, they must have calluses on their fingers from all the writing they've been doing. These reports are absolutely fantastic. And I, I regret the fact that we didn't talk about the last report you mentioned regarding BRI and AFCFTA, because the linking of those two is absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So that's going to be a topic for a future discussion. I've gotten a couple emails from folks saying they want to talk about that and they want to learn what people are thinking in terms of how to integrate the Belt and Road and AFCFTA, but that will be for a future discussion. My problem with everything we've been talking about today is, number one, I'm a little bit burned out on summits. I think both of us are, because I mentioned this in our show last week as well, that Africa has been getting shafted at all the summits. Right. I mean, the G20 summit, when it needed a conversation on debt relief, nobody talked about debt relief. At COP26, when they needed action and they needed commitments, hard commitments from the global north, the main polluters, to channel those funds back into the global south and to help companies like ESCOM to make the transition from coal to renewable, nothing came. Well, you know, to, to be fair, to be fair, like South Africa did get a chunk of money from from global North countries for that that transition. But is it enough? Well, what is enough? I guess. Well, question. enough is to actually do it because, again, and we've had the IMF SDRs that they've, you know, there was a big commitment about how the rich countries were going to allocate their SDRs, their special drawing rights, to poor countries. That still hasn't happened in any meaningful way, and it's just over and over again. And I guess my problem with what we're seeing out of FOCAC is that everything going in is asking for the benevolence of China to do this. And this goes to the question of, does Africa actually have power in this relationship? But it's asking China for more market access. It's asking China for free trade privileges. It's asking China to do more capacity building. And we're in that same dynamic in many ways as we were in previous eras in Africa's relationship with the outside world, right? Am I, am I misreading this? Um, I, I, I share with you this kind of, like, I think we're both a little bit dispirited, you know, kind of, I think, I think no, no person, no actual rational person's optimism could survive COP26. It's just too soul crushing, you know? Um, but, you know, beyond that, I, I, I share with you the, the, you know, the, the kind of hesitation about, about the, the positioning of Africa within this and, and, and also the, the language of, 
you know, if China should help with this, China should help to to boost industrialization, for example. China should help to open and and, and boost trade. I get a little worried with that kind of language um, because it does position Africa in such a weak position. At the same time, I think I, th- you know, kind of what what also worries me about all of this is that what we're seeing on the you know kind of actually in the continent is a lot of a lot of national politicians not playing ball on the regional and continental level you know so that is the that is the the kind of the hidden story that is frequently i think not told is how how kind of cooperation is undermined with among african countries um and you know and and i don't think we're seeing enough kind of um preparation for for any kind of uh, you know, any kind of tougher kind of negotiation negotiation position coming from African countries, because of course Africa has holds a lot of cards, right? Kind of like this, this uh, it, it, you know, as as you said, like a lot a lot of the minerals that China gets from Africa, it can get from other parts of the of the of the Belt and Road, but that's not true for all minerals, and it's not true necessarily for for the bulk and the and the scale and the type of minerals that they might be able to get, particularly around minerals like cobalt in the DRC. But we're not seeing the kind of you know putting the pieces together to actually negotiate a tough deal with with big cobalt buyers like china and and to also play them off against the big cobalt buyers everywhere else who are all desperately trying to get cobalt resources you can't do that though because it's chinese companies like cnmc like china mali and zijin that own the mines that's the one problem. The other it's problem impossible. is that is that we're not seeing um, we're not seeing a, a, a unified continental position on, for example, forcing refinement on the continent. Um, you know, kind of, a, a, you know, if if they if they were, you know, these if these countries were working together more more organically and closer, um, and they were actually on the same page on these issues, they would be able to to force some kind of concessions. Um, and you know, but 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 I, I, at the moment, I don't really see that although you know who knows i mean you know there might be some stuff happening behind the scenes in preparation for foco so this is the point that i brought up earlier that economically speaking and on a trade basis africa is not important to china and i don't mean this in any disparaging or negative way it's just the facts when you line up the amount of trade that comes out of africa and the amount of trade that china does with every other region in the world it's not even comparable and then within africa most of that trade is with 10 countries, okay? So another 40 countries do very little healthy trade with that, with China. Most of them import a ton of stuff and sell very little back, okay? So this is not a healthy trading relationship. But in terms of whether what you're talking about in terms of exacting all of the leverage that African countries have, it's not in the economic space. I mean, you can pull together the ECOWAS countries, and they're still not going to amount to much to have leverage over China, given the economic imbalance between the two and the asymmetry between the two. Where African countries have leverage is on the political side. That is where they have the leverage. You want that guy to run, you know, this UN agency? Well, you know what? It's going to cost you. We'll put our votes there, but you're going to have to pay up in other ways. I don't see African countries doing that. What I see is African ambassadors in Beijing one after another, just basically carrying the water for the Chinese on any of the contentious issues where they would have leverage, where sensitive votes at the UN, which could go either way, and if African countries actually leveraged their agency and said, you know what, our vote, hmm, not sure what we think about this. <laughs> I'm not saying sell the vote. I'm saying use your political power to, to, 
to its maximum benefit for your own national interest. I, I, yeah, like I think that's one field of leverage. Another one is is the the is the importance or the growing importance of Africa as a kind of continental tech customer to Chinese yeah. companies. Um, you know, particularly as these same companies are facing really tough pressures in 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 their traditional markets in other parts in, in in the global north. Um, but also there, like you know, like we, we recently spoke with Jonathan Hillman um, in you know about about the this, the influence of Chinese in of of China in the global tech sector, and also particularly the growth of Chinese companies like Huawei, how they managed to get so big and so and so powerful. And one of the things that that struck me, I was reading the book, is that even though the the the, the way that these companies managed to become so powerful is now seen in particularly in the US as, as a kind of examples of China kind of playing, you know, playing dirty, like not, not following the rules and, and so on. And it's frequently kind of used against China and, and, you know, kind of as a form of criticism. Like, I think that kind of hardball, like forcing technology change, like for technology transfer, I mean, forcing these foreign companies to sign over IP, like, you know, kind of forcing them to, 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 to produce in, you know, kind of within the, you know, kind of your, your, your country, that, that's kind of leverage that is Africa's holy grail. That is what all African leaders would, would like dream about. Um, and to be able to kind of unite the, you know, again, a 1.2 billion market, um, you know, to, around those kind of tough, con, you know, controls. But it's, it's you know, they're, they're so, I mean, it, I don't think anyone except China can really pull it off, but particularly not Africa because, because they're so incredibly divided between, the, between themselves. Let me just read a tweet that came from Joshua Meservi, who is the Africa and Middle East policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation, the Conservative Heritage Foundation in the United States. And I think it speaks to this question of the potential leverage that African countries have. Now, remember, he is a conservative. He's quite critical of China, to say the least. That's an understatement. But listen to what he had to say here. He said, uh, last point, he wrote a multi-part tweet, and I won't read you the front part, but the last point that he made was about revising the international order is where Africa is especially important to China's ambitions. The continent is probably Beijing's most important supporter of its foreign policy goals, most notably at the UN. African countries shield China from human rights criticism, help it weather international criticism over issues like the Tiananmen Square massacre and its cover-up of the COVID-19 pandemic. Again, that's coming from Joshua Meservi. The point here is that Africa as a coalition is very, very important to China, politically speaking. And I don't get the sense that they either appreciate that political power that they have or leverage it to its maximum effect to further their own regional, continental, and national interests to exact more concessions. This is where they've got leverage over China. They don't have leverage over China, economically speaking. All African countries can unite all they want. That doesn't matter. They're not going to have the economic power to make China agree to concessions. The same way that Southeast Asia, the Persian Gulf, Europe, and the United States have real economic leverage with China. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. You know, it, it then comes back to 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 the need to put a, to take a much harder look. I think at at the relationships between different African countries, the kind of pecking orders, you know, kind of between them, the um, you know the and 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 the the issue of 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 kind of pragmatically planning cross border kind of initiatives that actually would will will 
uh, you know support each other rather be rather than being in direct competition with each other um, and I think you know like one of our guests that that we, that we frequently have on Zetsewere like a kind of a development economist in Nairobi it makes that point frequently is you know kind of is, is you frequently see these countries competing against each other to sell the same thing to China rather than rather than working pragmatically to try and kind of like boost to raise everyone's boats by by you know for example refining in one place and then doing another another phase of it another phase of refining in another place for example um, you know so 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 this kind of this this a kind of a pan-continental vision is really necessary and it's been it's such a cliche in Africa-China relations it's been called for so many times that I think a lot more work needs to be to needs to be done in, to look at take a very hard look at why it's seemingly impossible to actually achieve. Do you need a lot of work to figure out why it's not been achieved? I mean, really? Is that a rhetorical question or a legitimate question? No, no, a legitimate one. Like, you know, kind of, I, th- I think, I think we, we don't have real insights into, into the, 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 I mean, we, we, can, we can imagine it, but, but we don't have clear kind of, you know, insights into, for example, the interactions between a country like Nigeria and, a, and, and its much smaller neighbors, for example. No, I, I agree with you on that front, but there is really only one precedent for a regional bloc to work together, and that's Europe. And even Europe is so unwieldy and they are bickering with each other that it's not really a good model in many respects. I mean, it is a strong model, but it is dysfunctional. You know, And these are, again, some of the highest governance countries in the world, and they struggle at it. But ASEAN has not done a very good job. Remember we talked with some folks in South America who said that Mercosur and the South American, Latin American countries have done a very poor job on this. Human nature is such that working together is a very difficult thing that just doesn't have a lot of precedence. Europe is the best example of this, but I'm not sure that that is how we are wired as creatures to be that collaborative and to put aside all of our national interests, our petty grievances. I mean, you look at at the tensions just this year in Africa, Morocco, Algeria, pulling ambassadors from one another, Ghana, Nigeria, fighting with one another over any number of different issues on border, on trade, and, you know, and then Kenya, Tanzania, I think it was, you know, earlier. My point is that is typical of geopolitics and putting all that aside to reach a a, a common trade agreement with a power as large and potent as China, that just feels, I don't know, idealistic at the, you know. Really idealistic. Yeah. Well, let's see. <laughs> you know, it's it's. I agree. It's it's. You know, kind of. It's. But but at the same time, you know, kind of. Africa had better kind of swing big, right? Kind of because it's 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 not like things are going so great at the moment. No, fair enough. I do, and I and again, I, I'm a big supporter and advocate of of smaller regional blocks that are more manageable. So again, I think more potential in SADC in Southern Africa, the East Africa states. Uh, ECOWAS in West Africa, Horn of Africa. Horn of Africa right now obviously is not a, a happy place right now, but these regional blocks could be more manageable than at the African Union level, the pan-continental level, or the AFCFTA level. Just because, as we've seen with Europe, managing 28 countries is difficult. Africa's twice that amount, and it, it would be very, very difficult. And also, the gap between the countries is enormous in terms of Botswana compared to Nigeria. And getting alignment on those countries with economies that are so divergent in size is is a big, tall order. So, listen, we're going to find out what happens next week. Uh, This is really going to be very interesting for us. We've been following FOCAC now for the past six weeks in detail. 
Uh, leading up to FOCAC, we've been doing this thing called FOCAC Perspectives on the site and in our newsletter, where every day we're getting three different uh, stakeholders to comment and, and to, say what, to say what they want and what they're hoping will come out of FOCAC. It's an excellent series that we have on our website for subscribers. I highly recommend it. it you know, together now, it looks so amazing to see all of these voices. We've got dozens of these voices and what they're, what they're asking for. So we've heard from people saying they want more transparency, they want debt issues to be addressed, trade has been a big one. And so, uh, so this is really going to be a fascinating, a fascinating FOCAC this year coming amid the pandemic and this real junction in China-Africa relations. And I think we're going to see a very different tone coming out of this. Probably no more of the big infrastructure projects, a lot more targeted projects. Green is going to be a big topic. COVID and healthcare is going to be a big topic. Technology will be one. And these trade agreements. And I think we're going to see some progress on trade, which I think will be very exciting. Uh, we've raised a lot of the critical issues, but that's, again, what this exercise that we do here every week is for. So we'll leave the discussion there. If you would like to see the FOCAC perspectives and all the coverage that we've been doing for our subscribers, please go to China Africa Project slash subscribe, and you can get a month free, and then you'll get the daily newsletter. We've got thousands of articles in the archive, all organized by country, keyword. You can search for it. It's really easy. And then if you'd like to support us over on Patreon, we've got this amazing discussion going over on Patreon. It's so much fun, this great group of people that's over there. We're doing Zoom calls. We're going to do a Zoom call before FOCAC and one after FOCAC. Really excited about that. Also, if you join us on Patreon, you will get the Week in Review, the weekly digest that we publish every Friday. And Cobus and I last week published out our monthly extra bonus podcast as well. That's there. So lots of cool stuff over on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash China Africa Project and join our community there. If you don't want to necessarily get a subscription and, and get to all the email, that might be too much. So we got lots of different things for different folks who just want to be engaged in this topic and, and really to join as much as we do. We love contributing to it every day and producing these shows, and we really appreciate your support. So that'll do it for this edition of the show. Cobus and I will be back again next week for another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Until then, for Gobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. For more information about the China Africa Project, go to chinaafricaproject.com. Project.com.